A big thank you to the two Johnnies for kicking off the weekend in entertaining fashion. It is Friday, the 28th of October. I'm Shane Dawson and you are listening to Game On. Coming up this evening, we hear from Katie Taylor. She gears up for another fight night at Wembley. Yeah, it feels great to be back. Um, like you said, this is my uh, this is where it all started for me as a, as a professional boxer. I've had great memories here for making my debut. and It's been an amazing six years so far. Um, and I'm looking forward to just producing a great performance tomorrow night. In Association Football, we preview the three-horse title race finale in the Women's National League. Plus, there's a Premier League weekend to preview as Brendan Rodgers wants Pep Guardiola to play Erling Haaland against his Leicester side. Well, I hope he plays because I think you want to see the best players and I think what we now have is what, what the beauty now in the Premier League is you, we have the chance now to see a, a genuine world-class player grow and develop his talent uh, in our in our shores so um, no, I really hope he plays he's, he's a brilliant player Plus we'll be giving you a bit of love to the League of Ireland as always on a Friday night with Alan Carley in football Jane Mangan is also standing by to preview the weekend's racing either side of the Irish Sea and a sneak peek sneak peek even on next week's Melbourne Cup David Gillick will also join us to look ahead at the Dublin Marathon on Sunday evening as always if you want to get in touch you can text us at 51552 or tweet us Game on 2FM <laughs> Game on, on 2FM. Yes, hello there. Good evening. It is uh, great to have your company on this uh, Friday evening. Uh, Alan Colley, how are you, sir? Friday I'm good, Shane. Yeah. I'm uh, keeping well. Good week. Looking forward to the weekend. You're looking quite cool yourself and your, your hat and all. New look tonight, Shane. <laughs> it is, well, or lack of hair gel, so. Thankfully, <laughs> 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 yeah, no one can see me on radio except for yourself and Brian Moss. Eagerly peeking in our broadcast coordinator. Um, before we get into the nuts and bolts of uh, this evening's show, a couple of uh, news headlines just to fly through. Uh, signing with golf, Seamus Power is going well in the Bermuda Championship on the PGA Tour. He's moved to 12 under par after a second consecutive round of 65 and he's tied for seventh place, just two shots of the joint leaders on 14th 14 under Ben Crane and Robbie Shelton no joy for Jonathan Caldwell and Cormac Sharvin in the Portugal Masters both will miss the cut the lead there shared by England's Jordan Smith and Malaysia's Gavin Green on 13 under in the Algarve it was a frustrating morning Alan I know you'll be you would have had an eye on this for the Irish cricketers uh, their T20 World Cup fixture against Afghanistan was called off due to persistent rain at the MCG in Melbourne both sides were awarded one point England's match against Australia was also washed out so New Zealand England, Ireland and Australia all on three points. Ireland third in the table on net run rate. Uh, next up for the Irish team is a game against uh, the defending champions Australia in Brisbane on Monday while on Tuesday Afghanistan play Sri Lanka and England face New Zealand. Every side knows that victories in all their remaining games will probably see them through although that net run rate could be crucial there. Uh, in rugby, John Ryan and Mike Haley come into the Munster starting lineup for tomorrow's interprovincial derby against Ulster with Simon Zebo named on the bench. Ryan rejoined Munster from Wasps on a three-month contract earlier this week and he starts at tighthead prop while Haley is at full-back after missing the last three matches with a groin injury. Munster coach Graham Rowntree has made nine changes to the team that lost to Leinster with Jack Crowley uh, switching to out-half. Number eight, Alex uh, Kendellan makes his first appearance since uh, the opening game of the URC. He was out with a... Uh, concussion. So it is uh, great to uh, see Alex back. Uh, Alan, I know you're here to chat soccer, but just a very brief word on, on the cricketers because uh, we haven't been chatting since uh, Duckworth Lewis is uh, our new favourite phrase. I was always a fan of the Duckworth Lewis, Shane. Um, but they were actually brilliant in the game themselves as well. So I know that was obviously how it was decided 
in the end but I think to be fair the performance was absolutely exceptional and England were kind of more or less saying that they deserve to win as well regardless of that outcome mm. so it sets them up for the tournament but that was a disappointing uh, outcome today obviously with and look you can't do anything about the weather it's the same for everybody but that would have been one of the games where they would have earmarked obviously Afghanistan to pick up the two points yeah. now you're only getting a point it might have even worked out better were you due to play a New Zealand or an Australia and picked up the point today due to the weather but that wasn't the case so they'll have to knuckle down they're still in with a great shout and I think they've taken huge confidence obviously from the performance the other night Shane so they'll fancy themselves even though they have the tougher games to come Absolutely Have you ever heard of uh, Divine Comedy the, uh, the music band? Or, sorry, it. Divine Comedy Duckworth Lewis I should say no. One member of Divine Comedy is in it so I've already ruined my second okay. line there Look Interesting. So we'll, we'll be chatting soccer in about 20 minutes' time. Between now and then, I want your favourite Duckworth Lewis songs. And they're all <laughs> cricket related as well, which is absolutely brilliant, fantastic. Brilliant. For, right, I'll pick out a name. For cricket uh, anoraks there. Um, okay, time to turn our attention uh, to boxing because there is a small matter of Katie Taylor in the ring tomorrow evening uh, in London. Kevin Byrne, uh, the Irish Sons of Boxing correspondent, joins us uh, now. So, Kevin. This is where the undisputed lightweight world champion against widespread caution began her career more than six years ago. So before we talk about the fight itself and everything around that, I mean, is there a bit of a romantic feeling returning to the place where it all began for Katie? Hi, Shane. Hi, Alan. How you doing? Yeah, I'm sure there's going to be people from all over England taking the, uh, the National Express down to London to catch the... Uh, yes. <laughs> they catch the fight at Wembley Arena yeah straight away <laughs> I love it it was it, it, it was almost a rush job when she made a professional debut I think it only came out three weeks before the, and the debut was booked I remember doing the story and it was a bit of a shock to fans in Ireland Katie Taylor's going to go professional uh, so there wasn't a lot of time to maybe prepare the flights and prepare the, you know your boat ticket and stuff like that so it was like it was almost a low profile kind of fight and, and this fight in Wembley Arena this week as well is a little bit low profile I suppose coming from where Katie Taylor was in her last fight in April you know selling out Madison Square Garden in the million dollar fight Amanda Serrano it's been quite the build up to this one has been quite quiet probably because of the profile of her opponent Argentinian Karen Elizabeth Carajabal uh, not a big name never fought out of Argentina 19-0 and um, Katie Taylor expected to dispose of her you know, in Katie Taylor fashion, you know, without losing many rounds or maybe even looking for a first stoppage in a, in nine fights. Uh, but yeah, she's she's changed boxing in her in her in her six years. Particularly, you know, she's given she's given such a platform to women's boxing. I guess that that was shown at the uh, a sold out O2 a couple of weeks back as Clarissa Shields beat Savannah Marshall. And uh, you know, w- women's boxing. The the stated aim was that it wouldn't be called women's boxing. It would just be called boxing. It would just be called boxing by fans and. Uh, that, that is starting to become normalised. Uh, people are going to the fights and enjoying them for what they are and not just saying, oh, that was a great women's boxing fight. But some of the best fights this year have been female fights. Katie Taylor against Serrano, Shields against Marshall. So I guess uh, Taylor's, been, Taylor's been massively influ- influential in that movement. Absolutely. Katie Taylor has been massively uh, influential. We can hear from Katie now. She was chatting to RT Sports. Paulo Flynn. Yeah, it feels great to be back. Um, like I said, this is my uh, this is where it all started for me as a as a professional boxer. I've had great memories here for making my debut, and it's been an amazing six years so far. Um, and I'm looking forward to just producing a great performance tomorrow night. What are you expecting from Karen Carvajal? Um, she's obviously an unbeaten fighter. Um, un, uh, yeah, undefeated. Um, uh, tough, a young Argentinian, and she's, she has everything to gain in this fight, and nothing to lose. So these fires are always very, very dangerous. So I'm, uh, I know I'm going to have to raise my game uh, tomorrow night and 
I'm just looking forward to producing a great performance again and showcasing what I can do. Is there a tinge of regret that this isn't the fight that you wanted? It's not Crow Park, it's not Amanda Serrano? Uh, it's definitely not Crow Park, but um, uh, it's just great to be back in there regardless. There's, uh, these are all big fights at this stage. I'm defending all my belts. I want to go home uh, with all my belts. Um, uh, becoming an undisputed champion um, is, uh, you know, I have a lot of pride in that. So um, every fight's huge and I'm just excited about it. I know it's one fight at a time, but do you still have your eye on that big homecoming at Crow Park? Is that still your dream? That's my absolute dream. I think that would be um, phenomenal uh, to, to headline Crow Park, 80,000 people. Uh, even the toss of that spine thing to me really, um, that's, uh, that's really the, the, you know, the stuff of dreams. And uh, it's crazy, my six years as a professional boxer, still haven't had a chance to, to fight at home yet. So I hope that can happen sometime soon. Kevin, I do want to discuss this fight you know that is coming up tomorrow uh, a bit more in detail however this narrative of Katie and Croker it isn't going away realistically I know she's sounding quite positive about it there but realistically given your your professional knowledge like is it a realistic possibility I think I think they've made a big mistake in hitching their wagon to Serrano obviously the first fight was enormous and the second fight would be even bigger but uh, Eddie Hearn Katie Taylor's promoter seems to believe that the fight that deserves to be held at Crow Park is, uh, is Amanda Serrano. And when Serrano and her team, Jake Paul, decided this year we don't want to go straight back into an immediate rematch, well, then Crow Park was off the table. I think if, if the fight is realistically to take place next summer, you have to have other, you have to have other options um, and not, not be completely tied to Serrano because then your fate is in your enemy's hands and she can kibosh your best laid plans by just saying, no, I don't fancy it or pay me another $5 million. So I think another interesting possibility came up uh, in uh, the press stuff this week where Katie Taylor, obviously a former member of the Irish women's national team, uh, discussed, the, the, discussed the thought of maybe fighting in Australia next summer and going out to see the World Cup. But I guess uh, maybe that would have to be a smaller fight so she could fight later that summer to also box at Crow Park you know she only fights every couple of months so it might be difficult to square them off she has lots of ambitions left in the game still wants to fight in Las Vegas but I guess the fight all the Irish fans want to see is back in Crow Park this is her 22nd professional fight uh, on, tomorrow night on, all have been away none on Irish soil I guess it's explained by the by the fact that you know partly explained by the fact anyway that when Katie Taylor turned professional in 2016 that's the year that Irish boxing entered into the upside down kind of thing when you know only a couple of months after the Regency you know murder at a boxing weigh-in which we're seeing the trial taking place for now so Katie Taylor's been having to box on foreign shores ever since her professional debut so hopefully next summer is the time but I just think that they should really they, they do have other options other than Serrano but they need to start yeah, who, really who concentrating those, on them. Who are those other options out of, out of curiosity that, that you might think would be um, I think realistic options are uh, the super featherweight undisputed champion uh, Alicia Baumgardner, who beat uh, Michaela Meyer a couple of weeks ago in London on the Shields Marshall undercard. Both of them are you know only a couple of pounds be, be below Katie, and Baumgardner is managed by Brian Peters, who's who's managing Katie Taylor. So it looks like a realistic fight that can be made. There's fights, what are fights at lightweight? You know the girl who beat the, the girl who beat Katie Taylor in the amateurs, Estelle Modley. She's an option. She's at lightweight. There's other ones at light welterweight. A previous uh, opponent in Jessica McCaskill is the welterweight champion. There's Chantel Cameron from England. There's a good few other options, and I think um, I'm sure they know it themselves. And but maybe. Maybe they just decided this year they, they wanted Serrano or Bust at Crow Park. But, you know, time is taking Katie Taylor's 36. She's speaking this week and she looks so happy and she seems in a great place that she's 
almost as if she's going to box on to 40 so maybe they think they've got time but you know yourself like some boxers look fantastic un- until they're not un- until things start to slip and then it's going to be even more difficult to achieve the Crow Park dream so ho- fingers crossed for her that she keeps winning and uh, has those options open She did say the best is yet to come I mean how much boxing does Katie Taylor have left in her? She's had a couple of hard fights and I think there was an opinion across the board uh, I probably held it myself that she was starting to you know her best was her best days were probably behind her she had adapted and I wasn't massively confident going into the Serrano fight uh, I think on fight week maybe Taylor's demeanour and when she talked about getting over a previous uh, ankle or foot injury uh, she kind of convinced me that she'd win that fight during fight week really because I'd been looking at Serrano previously and then when she did beat her um, she looked fantastic she looked better than she had for a couple of years um, so you know if she's over that injury and she's back to her best then realistically she she could go on for a couple of years because she's so experienced and she's so crafty she's got too much for most of these opponents I don't expect Karahabal to give her much of a challenge to be honest with you so coming full circle back to, to tomorrow evening's uh, fight in London then if Carabal isn't going to give her much of a challenge like what should we expect is this going to be a fight that's that's going to be pretty much done and dusted in the first couple of minutes or, or will it be somewhat competitive um, like it's all to, it's all to lose for Taylor um, she's not got dynamite in her fist she's not knocking out people you know she's but she's fighting at a very high level so it's difficult to fight it's difficult to knock people out at a very high level possibly now Karahabal will find herself just a little bit in over her head and Taylor could could do it could pull out the stop but she's only got six from her 21 fights so far but Karahabal only has two KOs from her 19 you know so we're not looking at we're probably not looking at a war but at the same time like a heavy handed war but at the same time I think Taylor's uh, Taylor's heavy handedness will probably be on show and uh, I wouldn't be surprised if she got a stoppage in the second half of the fight but most likely I think it'll go to distance Carabao will raise her game because of what's expected of her and because of the uh, the magnitude of the event and who she's going in against Katie Taylor although we we have seen some fighters just kind of shirk uh, you know just, just kind of shrink under the spotlight against a, a massive challenge like this and in women's boxing it's really difficult to even summarise how big a name Katie Taylor is she's inspired so many fighters to turn professional Eddie Hearn's female female uh, sample is, is enormous now. When he started off with Katie Taylor, he didn't have that many female boxers in his stable, but he has an awful lot now. Um, and yeah, yeah on, onwards they go. One interesting subplot from the story is that uh, Katie Taylor's father, Pete Taylor, will be in the arena for this one. They obviously split in the summer of 2015, I believe, and uh, we saw what, what the dismantling of their team led to the following year at the Olympic Games. So this is the first time in over seven years, I think, Unless he's, you know, slipped into the arena while Katie's been boxing, which is very possible, it is the first time, you know, he'll have been in the arena and maybe meeting her backstage, um, because he's there with his his boxer, a nice uh, lightweight named Gary Cully. He's training him, so Pete Taylor will be in the arena. If that plays with Katie's mindset, that's one of the hidden dangers of the fight. But I don't expect it to because the mental game hasn't really affected her during her entire career. I don't expect it to now. Just on that that mental capacity, I suppose you know, given Carvajal hasn't fought out Argentina outside of Argentina, nothing to lose, everything to gain. Is there any fear at all of complacency causing Katie any any issues? I know we haven't seen it in the past, but give, given those extra exterior um, distractions, for ninety nine percent of fighters, I'd say yes, uh, because just Katie Taylor has so much to look forward to. You know, we've, we've spoke about you know she wants to go to the World Cup next year, she wants to fight in Crow Park. We've, ne- we've mentioned even during this interview all the names that are out there for her to fight so 99% of fighters I'd say yes they probably would overlook tomorrow because it's just a step 
along the way to bigger and better things. But I don't see it happening with Katie Taylor. She's never done it in her career. I don't expect her to do it now. She enters back into training camp. She was back in the gym a couple of days after beating Serrano earlier on this year and she's ticking over, she's fit and she's just super focused on boxing. You know, it seems to, you know, to this day be the main focus of her life and I don't expect her to overlook this fight, no. Okay. Another day in the another day at the office for Katie Taylor, I'd say. Here's hoping. Kevin Byrne, the Irishman's boxing uh, correspondent. Thank you very much. Hopefully, we'll be chatting next week, reflecting on another Katie Taylor win. Coming up after the break, we'll be chatting to David Gillick as he makes the the short and small move from 400 meters to 26.2 miles. The Dublin Marathon is coming up on Sunday. RTE 2FM. Now, after a two-year hiatus due to the COVID-19 pandemic, the Dublin Marathon is returning on Sunday, where a record 25,000 entrants are expected to take part, one of which is David Gillick, who joins me now. So, David, thank you very much for taking the call and taking time out of your training or rest or recovery. What, what stage are we at now, getting closer to Sunday? Yeah, cheers, Shane, for having us on. Yeah, no, look, it's all about the taper. It's all about chilling out for this stage. As we say in the game, the hay is in the barn. So there's not a whole lot you can do between now and, and Sunday morning. So keep the the weight off the legs, try and just chill out um, and begin to carbo load as well. So begin to kind of get the, the starchy carbohydrates into the body to give yourself a, a bit of a, a bit of a chance to, to hold on to that 42k, you know. Stick the feet up and eat a lot of food. I said that. I think the question for everyone at the moment is how much hay is in the shed? Yeah. That's the question. <laughs> well, you know, Al, I don't know. I, like, look, it's been, you know, I have to say I've really enjoyed it. it it's something that, um, I don't know, it's probably one of these kind of bucket list things. Oh, I'll, I'll do that sometime. And then off the back of last year, I was like, you know what, maybe I'll, I'll get back into running. And You need a bit of a focus. You need some sort of a goal. So obviously I picked... Uh, the longest one, which is uh, a marathon. And for me, coming from my background, 400 metres, is, it's like the, the opposite end of the sport. It's completely, completely the other side. So it's been a bit of a journey. I've had to kind of pretty much change my whole phys- physiology, you know, go from someone who was very anaerobic to uh, to aerobic. And that takes, and that took an awful lot of time, i got to be honest. So it was starting really small, going out for really slow-paced runs, trying to get a little bit more efficient in my running and then build it up gradually over time. And I have to give, just give a shout-out to Edmonton Levy, a mate of mine, a coach, and he's helped me out immensely. Um, and he's probably held me to account on various things as well. But like I said, and like Al uh, asked there, like I'd, I'd like to think there's a load of hay in the barn, but it's a marathon. Anything could happen. <laughs> <laughs> this is very, very true. How difficult was it adapting to, to that training regime? Ah, uh, look. I'd be honest. I, like coming from a kind of a sprint background, and I'd done a lot of the the park runs and things like that over the years. And I was good for like you know a five k. You know, so you're looking. I got down to maybe kind of just under um, nineteen minutes for a five k. So I, I was all right, but I couldn't go any further. Like if it was a an eight k or even ten k, no, good luck. I, I'd be blowing up. So you know, even from that perspective, I had to kind of change everything and. And then build up gradually, and that's the thing I would have done over the last couple of months and uh, and even weeks. Just build up steadily. So each week you're throwing on another couple of k onto your long runs. Um, and also the point of it is like you're doing one long run, and the long run has to be kind of at an easier pace. So you're trying to get time on the legs, and that's something that I wouldn't have had. So you know, you 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 say a marathon like there's three hours, four hours, five hours, six hours. You're on the legs for an awful lot of people. That's an awful long time. So you need to build that up and. 
again, it's the joints, it's the muscles, it's the knees, it's the ankles. They're the things that really kind of, you know, initially I was like, oh my God, I'm in pain. I'd get up on a on a Sunday morning after a Saturday long run and I'd be in bits. Um, you know, so all of that was brand new. And then during the week, you're trying to kind of keep the consistency and, and obviously keep the injuries at bay as well. Like that's a huge part of it. And even if you can get to the start line of a marathon, you know, you're doing really well. And that's that's kind of what I'm looking forward to now. And, you know, it's Sunday morning and yeah, and getting the jitters. I was laughing today going, I'm just trying to tell myself, hey, this isn't the Olympic Games. Chill out, will it? Relax. You know? <laughs> <laughs> but no, it, it's, I am. I'm looking forward to it. And obviously, like I always said, if I was to do a marathon, I'd have to do my home marathon first. Oh no, absolutely, yeah. Like as an event, because it's funny. The last time you and I were chatting um, was at the national cyclocross championship in, yeah. in Armagh. So you, you're throwing your hat at a few things now. <laughs> oh, so you go from four hundred meters to to cyclocross to to the marathon now. Uh, listen, let's be honest. <laughs> it's a midlife crisis. I'm trying to figure things out as I go. But you know what? I did the cyclocross up in Armagh, and I loved it, and it was great fun. And the reason I, I suppose the marathon has come after that is I, I, I kind of realised that I wasn't that fit. I, need, I, I, I wasn't aerobically fit. And a cycle across roughly about 50 minutes. I found out I was kind of really beginning to blow up after like 40, 30, 40 minutes. So that's where I was like, right, I want to get fit. And aerobically fit, so I started running. But then I was like, oh, I'm just running for the sake of running. I need a bit of a goal. So like I said, I kind of took the ultimate one in the, in the marathon. But yeah, I don't know. It's, uh, it's, it's figuring things out. I... You know what I do? I actually like the running element of it. I like the kind of peace and quiet you get from running. And particularly sometimes running by yourself as well. No music, and uh, nothing like that. You just run with your own thoughts. And I think that's kind of been a bit of a go-to over the last while. And particularly with an autumn marathon, you're training through the spring and the summer. So you get the nice weather and stuff like that as opposed to training through the winter, you know, for a spring marathon. So it's been, I've enjoyed it that way and it's been nice. Yeah, I, I do actually want to just mention that because I know you, you've spoken very openly and honestly since since retiring back in 2014 about kind of leaving yourself in limbo land physically and, and mentally and now you've taken part in a load of these events. I know you're a big advocate of the of the park runs. We talk, talk about the cyclocross championship there. I mean, ultimate hell week as well. But, you know, t- t- for mentally, you know, it must be really rewarding, not only for yourself, but other competitors, you know, taking part in the marathon. As you mentioned, you know, it is about even just getting to the start line and doing your best in it and whatever your own goals are they're your own goals about doing it and that must be extremely mm. rewarding yeah it is and I, th- I think you know when you look at any kind of mass participation event people are doing it for a whole host of reasons and you'll see that on Dublin morning or on Sunday morning in Dublin like a lot of people are, are doing it for charities they're raising money they're doing it for loved ones they're doing it for maybe lost loved ones so there's plenty of reasons as to why people put themselves into this and like even during the week I was asked about like how do you keep yourself going and they were referring to like you know everything that I've done but including the hell week and Sometimes you just got to go to the well. You got to dig, dig deep, and kind of ask yourself those tough questions. And like that's that's exactly it. And I suppose, yeah, to be honest, I've probably meandered a little bit in life post my athletic career because it was it was of huge importance to me, and it, it, I suppose it identified me for for a huge portion of my life. And I was probably grieving without actually realizing that I was grieving. I was just kind of searching for things and trying to figure things out. But you know, time is a great uh, healer, and, and talking to people and understanding who I was. And, on that journey and like I think getting back to doing something that's a huge part of me i.e. running has been it's been a bit of a godsend really and I like that's what I've really loved I've loved the routine I've loved the structure I love kind of having the goal and something to work towards and I think for a lot of people you know on Sunday morning they're they they be doing it for their own personal reasons and that's what you need to remind yourself when you hit like 19, 20 miles when you're going up 
the hill at Roebuck and you swing left down Foster's Avenue like that's when they say the marathon really kind of uh, hits you and that's the moment that you have to dig deep and you know, ask yourself okay who am I and why am I, do, why am I doing this and hopefully that will carry you home my final question um, to you, David. Uh, actually, RT journalist Marco Flynn had a really nice piece with marathon runner Martin Kelly, who is one of seven people taking part in their 41st double wow. marathon this weekend, uh, competing in every race since the first one back in 1980. And I love Martin's quote when he said, just believe in yourself. Your time is important, but it's not the be-all and end-all. You've done something that a very small percentage of people have done. Just enjoy it, and I guarantee you'll be back for more. And we have a texter in there as well that says, can you ask David, I'm in my 50s, I've done a lot of 5Ks, but I've never done a marathon. Should I do it I mean what, what would you say to the people who are, who are sitting on the fence 100% give it a go and I think the biggest mistake people when it comes to running is they run too fast too far too soon take it easy take it slow and build up gradually give yourself a big window of opportunity to build up that fitness and for me I started this back in January um, and I was literally going so slow I was virtually walking and I was getting frustrated with that but again I was building up um, my endurance and building up my time in the legs and I think that's the thing whatever happens on Sunday because uh, I know your next question is probably going to be like what's my target time you know everyone keeps asking that what are you hoping for I was going to let um, Alan ask that so I was going to let yeah, Alan ask the yeah. difficult ones <laughs> oh, I think I think you've already ran your marathon after what I watched on Hell Week David so <laughs> this will be a doddle no doubt <laughs> well Al, see, Al Al was asked to do it and he bailed he said he didn't have it so, uh, <laughs> I can safely say I don't have it and I have no problem saying that David <laughs> Um, yeah, look, I, I do have a time in, in, in my in my mind, and um, I always throw my sister under the bus on this one. She ran uh, three twenty one, um, the last double marathon that was that was actually on. So, like, I I I have to I have to beat her, otherwise Christmas Christmas dinner is going to be a nightmare. So. <laughs> <laughs> well listen Dave Gillick uh, no time like the better make hay while the sun shines <laughs> very best of luck on that best on of luck Sunday. Dave cheers lads thanks a lot uh, David Gillick there competing alongside uh, 25,000 other entrants in Dublin Marathon so the very best of luck of everyone who's uh, starting uh, on Sunday would Alan, you do one Shane would I do one I am a Marino Fairview uh, community games 100 metre Meter sprinter, okay. so I was under fourteen. I got to Mosnian. Brilliant! Know, so, yeah, well, there so. you go. Dave was a sprinter, and he's obviously gone into this. That text. Now I'm no longer under fourteen, and I, <laughs> I don't have any Olympics to my name. But, but that text coming in was brilliant because I'm sure there is people out there thinking, could they? And that's obviously yeah. it would always be a question in the back of people's mind. But I'm sure if you put the time and the train and the effort in and build it up over time, as David said, it's yeah. achievable for anybody. Yeah, no, absolutely. A few friends of mine um, have done a couple of marathons in the past, and yet, yeah, like I, the most I've done is, is I think gone for a short uh, short jog down the seafront basically but I echo completely David's sentiments about mm. you know the mental kind of benefits and the physical benefits obviously of it it, it is brilliant anyone that is sitting on the fence about doing the marathon it, I'm sure it would be worthwhile because I haven't spoken to anyone who's ever done it and came back mm. and, and said oh jeez I regret doing that no it's always been really really positive um, so Alan we are going to be chatting soccer we're going to start with the Women's National League in a few moments time stick with us here in Game On 2FM <laughs> 2FM Game on Football Now once again the Women's National League is heading for a remarkable last day of action with three teams still in with a chance of winning the title Last year Shelburne went into their last fixture at home to Wexford Utes two points behind Piedmont United who faced Galway at home When the Peas went two up that looked to be that but Galway stormed back to win 5-2 and Shells held their nerve at Tolka Park to edge past Wexford 3-2 and snatch the trophy it was an incredible afternoon of drama and yet tomorrow 
could well top it. Alan Colley is still live in studio. Louise Craven, former Galway goalkeeper, uh, joins us uh, on the line as well. Louise, thanks so much uh, for taking the call. So as I, I kind of set it up there about last week, last year's, I should say, title race, it is uh, just as exciting this week because Shell's uh, go from being the hunter to the hunted this time as they sit top one point ahead of Wexford Utes and two clear of Athlone Town the season's surprise package P-Mount were still in the mix up until last weekend but a thrilling three-all draw with Wexford Utes wiped them out of the equation so it is now a three-horse race with two of the contenders Wexford Utes and Shells meeting in an absolute blockbuster a match you can see live in TG Cahar and I know Louise you're uh, part of that coverage from 5pm with a 5.20 uh, kickoff. so what should we expect from from this top two title decider? Yeah, it's been a it's been a thrilling season so far, and I think the match tomorrow between Wexford and Shelburne it's going to have lots of drama. We've our top two teams. Shelburne are just ahead at the moment, one point ahead of Wexford, and it's do or die. A winner takes all, really. And um, dare I say it, if it ends in a draw between Wexford and Shelburne, and if that lone beat Bohemians. Well, then we're heading for uh, a playoff uh, in the time to be confirmed. So it's all going down to the wire. And I don't think anyone would have believed you if we were to go back to last March when the season began, if we were to say we're going to be going down to the last match of the season and we're going to be keeping an eye on the two games side by side again. Can Shelburne, can they hold on to their league? Can they win? Are Wexford going to get some revenge? Are they going to win the title for the first time since 2018 again? Or are are at loan? Are they going to be successful? They've had a brilliant run of things this this season, and they're in the cup final in two weeks' time. So it's going to be full of drama, Shane. That's for sure. Absolutely, it would be very interesting if Shells and at loan ended in the playoff, and of course they meet in the final, as you mentioned there as well. Like Louise, Shells have been a bit sluggish since Europe. I suppose that's a bit harsh to say, considering they're still top of the table by a point. But they've they've kind of dipped a bit. What they've been somewhat inconsistent. Wexford have a lot of injuries to contend with, but that's given a chance for a lot of younger girls to to shine through. I know the match is down in Wexford and, and Shells are top of the table. Like, how do you call it? Like, who 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 are you siding towards? It's going to be incredibly hard to call it. Um, you could argue and say it's been a season of changes for, for both teams. I know Wexford were quite unlucky last week. We were live in Piedmont and Della Darity sustained um, quite a serious in- injury. And Shelburne, like you said, at one point they were 14 ahead, 14 points ahead in the league. And all of a sudden they dropped a second. Now they're one point ahead. It's going to be it's going to be a tough game. Um, I think Wexford would love to be successful in front of the home crowd to win again. But Shelburne, they're hungry. They have a point to prove now. They're on top. They want to win. And of course, it's in front of TV. Live audience on TG Car. We're live from 5 o'clock. Kick off 20 past 5. I mean, both teams are going to want to win to be on TV. They're supporters watching them in there in Wexford with them. Um, I can't call it. It's just so tight. Looking back at the, the previous games between Wexford and Shelburne. Shelburne won the most previous game. And before that, Wexford won. So... It, 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 it's incredibly tight between the two. So it could be a draw, and if Atlone then uh, defeat Bohemians, we go to a playoff. Alan Colley, it's, it's, it's a weird one with, with the Women's National League this year because there's no goal difference or anything like that, and it was um, decided on on the individual head-to-head matches between the two teams. So that would be Shells and Athlone, and, and there's no difference there, and goal difference in those individual matches, and there's no difference there. Like, Is this the fairest way to decide a league playoff? It's not something you hear of very often. Well, I've never heard of it before, Shane, so I don't think it is the fairest way, to be honest with you. I'm looking at the goal difference here, and obviously Shelburne have a goal difference of plus 49, and Athlone are well ahead of them. It's plus 28, so... Mm. like. 
that's if over the course of a season when you play 27 matches which it'll be after the finish up tomorrow I think it's judged on all those counts in terms of wins, draws and goal difference then it comes down to so I've never heard of that before obviously Atlone are delighted with that if that's the outcome and I, and I think Atlone have been absolutely brilliant the story of the season really and as Louise said they're in the cup final as well so in terms of them tomorrow they'll, they'll, still, as though, they'll still feel as though they're in with a great chance a great opportunity and they'll be hoping the game ends in a draw and we do come that come down to that kind of unusual situation of a playoff in the league um, but to think here we are 12 months on Shane after the drama of last year as well I think it's phenomenal really and brilliant for the women's game funny enough though just on the game tomorrow with Shelburne and Wexford Utes last year I felt watching the game and obviously P-Mount and everybody expecting to win as you said they went 2-0 up mm. There wasn't as much focus on that game because everybody thought it would be straightforward. And I think as the drama was unfolding, that's when everybody started to get involved and the audience started to tune in to see exactly how it was panning out. Whereas tomorrow, there's huge focus on this. And I'm just wondering, will that maybe play into that loan's hands in terms of no focus on them? I think they'll get the job done. But will the pressure come on Shelburne and Wexford? And who knows, it could play out in a draw. Yeah, quite possibly. Louise, I suppose, just picking up on that point, I know Shells and Wexford have a lot of household names. Shells in particular have that experience. Your your Rachel Grahams, your Pearl Slatteries, but just on that lone town, because, I mean, even if they, they lose the cup final and if they finish third in the league I mean that's still a very successful season for it long given where they started like what's impressed you most about this uh, team? Yeah Atlone they've really been the story of the season there as Alan said they've been impressive from the very beginning and you know we've covered a couple of matches with TG Carr we've been down with them and I think the one thing that has stood out for me um, as a former player but also doing the analysis and the commentary now is the sense of togetherness their team spirit they fight for each other every position starting with the goalkeeper, straight through defenders and field forwards. They have such an understanding of each other. They know where they'll be on the pitch. They link up. And even if things, they let in a goal, they're quick to bounce back. The heads don't get down. And that comes from management. Tommy Hewitt, he's, um, he's an incredible, incredible manager. He's done a brilliant job in that loan. You know, they, they, they're, they're currently third. They could be champions this time tomorrow evening. You know, um, anything can happen where they could be going for the, the head-to-head um, if they do, um, if Wexford and Shelburne draw, you mm. know, Atlone could be could be in the hat again. Um, but it's brilliant, that togetherness. And even their fans, all the, the, young, the young girls, they were down to match there a couple of weeks ago. And it's brilliant, you know, in Ireland that the belief is there now. Women in soccer are senior women. They've qualified for the World Cup. And that the, co- the conversation is there now. Women's soccer, it's on the rise, it's on the up. People want to get out and, and play. And what better way than you see it on TV with TG Cahar now, the home women's sport, you have the Gaelic football, you now have women's soccer. I mean, it's just, it's a brilliant time. And that competition between those top teams, it's incredible. It's inspirational. And I suppose, in some sense, I kind of wish I was almost back on the pitch wearing the jersey again and playing to be a part of the action again. Uh, but definitely at loan they've been the team of the season that since togetherness um, it, it's phenomenal and it's credits them they've been brilliant to players throughout OK 
good stuff. It should be uh, a cracker tomorrow evening. Louise Craven, uh, former uh, Galway goalkeeper, and TG Carr pundit. Thank you very much for joining us, Louise. Mentioned there, uh, live coach from five pm on TG Carr, and you get uh, live updates on Saturday Sport on Radio One. And I know, Alan, there's a couple of busloads travelling down from Talca Park tomorrow evening, so there should be a bumper crowd in Wexford. It's uh, a good time to be a Shelburne fan, Shane. Uh, well, you Men said women. It. You said it. David Snade was was slagging me yesterday for shoehorning a Damien Duff quote into the show yesterday. So at least you brought up shells, not me tonight. You can get the blame. Uh, before we chat League of Ireland, uh, we can we- welcome uh, Fergal Brennan into the conversation because we're going to chat Premier League football first. Uh, Fergal, how are you, sir? Very well, and yourself? I'm all good. I'm all good. It's Friday of a bank holiday and I'm working right the way through, so I wouldn't ever be happy. Um, gentlemen, let's start with the early kickoff on Saturday Leicester City versus Manchester City. Fergal, the improved Leicester face down the champions. I suspect here Manchester City will have uh, a bit too much for them, but what do you make of their current form? Yeah, unfortunately, through through slightly gritted teeth surrounding the positivity of, of Leicester, I, I would agree with you because based on current form, the last five games, only Crystal Palace have got more points in the bottom half of the Premier League table and the real negativity that was swirling around Leicester last month or, or even up until a couple of weeks ago does seem to be easing away. They're getting positive results. Brendan Rodgers by hook or by crook seems to still be uh, in a job I'll hold my hands up and say I'm, I'm still very surprised about that I think strangely sometimes you almost need a bit of momentum behind the sacking uh, as strange as that kind of sounds there needs to be a bit of a swell to, to get someone out of a position whoever that might come from that seems to have died away um, towards Brendan Rodgers which I think overall is a bit of a positive he's still a, a very capable manager and he does seem to still fit quite well at Leicester um, I don't think it'll be an incredibly long term situation but for now certainly up until the World Cup it seems to be as is as for Manchester City you get the sense that they're going to be the kind of Halloween bogeyman to, to steal a bit of a cheesy cliche in that one but they are just so good particularly uh, when they're coming up against this type of opposition that's not to undersell Leicester and the good stuff they've been doing of late but Man City don't tend, tend to stumble uh, in games against teams in mid-table when they are expected to go and get a result maybe in the way that Liverpool obviously have done in the first few weeks of the season um, so I would think this will be Manchester City fairly straightforward uh, Erling Haaland's 50-50 he's, he's got a bit of a fever so he might not be playing or certainly might not be starting but not a dreadful blow to Leicester if they don't pick up a positive result tomorrow but Manchester City just look ready to, to just sweep on it is interesting. We played a clip of Brendan Rodgers at the start of the show who wants Erling Haaland to, to play, so it will be interesting. Uh, maybe he wants to play at 40% fitness or something like that. But uh, Alan, keeping with the, the managerial narrative, because I know Brendan there mentioned that he was, or sorry, Fergal mentioned that he was surprised that Brendan was, was still in the job, or alluded to at least. Um, if we jump forward to 7.45pm on Saturday evening, Liverpool leads Anfield, of course, no place for a struggling visiting manager in need of respite. Last season, uh, Marcelo Bielsa arrived under pressure at Leeds and looked condemned following a 6-0 defeat. The end was confirmed following another heavy loss at home to Tottenham three days later. His replacement, Jesse Marsh, faces Liverpool in a similar but arguably weaker position given fans have turned in a way that did not happen under the revered Argentinian just two points from the last 24. Uh, you were championing, um, was it last week or week four? I think Bielsa's on, or Marsh is on the way out. 
Well, I was uh, not champion in a, in a kind of get him out. Yeah, just exactly. more you, you were but predicting or uh, absolutely, yeah, yeah. Shane. And because uh, I watched the game, that was we were here obviously last Friday. That was coming off the back of the defeat to Leicester, which they were dreadful in, particularly in the second half. And they were going into a huge game against Fulham at the weekend. And I felt because of kind of the discontent with the fans, they were booing after the match, singing Bielsa's name, the run of form. It was two points out of twenty-one at that stage, and facing into as I say, newly promoted Fulham at home. And I felt they had they lost that game that he would have got the sack they did lose the game but yet he's still in the job and have come out and backed him but Liverpool tomorrow night as you said away uh, I know Liverpool have been up and down but you couldn't fancy Leeds whatsoever I know they've done okay against Arsenal and a couple of the, the better teams earlier on in the league but the, that run of form two points out of 24 Shane I just think he's under serious pressure and Liverpool as we all know have been so inconsistent and that bad defeat to Nottingham Forest last week but then they put in a good performance against Ajax during the week I just can't see Leeds getting anything out of the game and I think if they do lose tomorrow night he will get the sack Okay, will it be interesting yet to see how that goes in terms of managerial narratives? Graham Potter, of course, returning to Brighton after seven weeks at Chelsea. No wins for Brighton in that time, and Chelsea and uh, Potter unbeaten as well. Unfortunately, yeah, uh, our Premier League time uh, we're going to have to cut a bit short. So let's just bounce through a few uh, predictions. Uh, Fergal, if I uh, come back to yourself, the three pm kickoffs: Bournemouth or Spurs? Uh, Spurs. I think Gary O'Neill's having a little bit of a tough time, so yeah, Spurs. Won't have that new manager bouncing that one. Brentford or Wolves? Uh, Brentford just a little bit more solidity about them at the moment uh, I know they got beat last weekend by Villa but Wolves are, are in a bit of a mess so Brentford OK and then Brighton Chelsea as I mentioned there the, the Graham Potter derby Yeah I think the uh, the new <laughs> new friends of Graham Potter will win that one OK and Palace Southampton uh, Ooh it's a tough one I, I'm going to go for a draw on okay. this one Sit, uh, Sitting me. on the fence for that one and then finally yeah. Newcastle Villa is the uh, final 3pm kickoff. Uh, Newcastle been really impressed with them the last few weeks I know Villa got the uh, the post-Gerrard bounce last weekend but Newcastle have been really really good and particularly at home at the minute they're uh, they're incredibly hard to beat so I'm going to go for Newcastle to win that one It's mad these managerial post-Gerrard bounce it's all about managers uh, Alan Carley Fulham Everton 5.30 Saturday uh, Fulham Fulham and then Alan I will uh, give you Arsenal Forest can Forest cause another upset no no concise yeah I think that is the, the general opinion as well and Fergal will be finished with yourself 4.15 Manchester United including Cristiano Ronaldo uh, possibly against West Ham and Old Trafford who is going to win that one uh, draw both a bit tired after Europe uh, in midweek I'm going to go for a draw OK, good stuff. Fergal Brennan, thank you very much uh, for taking the call. It should be a great weekend of Premier League action. It's going to be a great evening of uh, League of Ireland action and, of course, Shamrock Rovers Derry in action on Sunday as well. But we're going to start with the uh, other end of the table because there's uh, pretty much a relegation... No, Well, not a relegation shootout, but it's going to be uh, go a long way in deciding who will get automatically relegated and who will go into the playoff. Uh, UCD and Finn Harps, Ali Horgan, you know, one relegation on his record since taking the job back in 2013 and, and, and then securing a promotion you know great achievement but can he work his magic once more can he keep Finn Harps up no I think this is it for them Shane you, you, it is a shootout really because if UCD win tonight that'll be six points and then obviously yeah. they will be uh, relegated so you look at the current run of form we're speaking about Leeds and two points out of 24 something similar with Ollie Horgan you look at the last kind of seven matches and it's two points out of 21 so uh, they've been very very poor I felt this year I've seen a fair bit of Finn Harps and UCD to be fair have picked up a little bit in the last couple of weeks as well and had a good result last week against Strahada so they'll come into it with a, a bit of form obviously it's away from home tough game but I think UCD overall the two of them are down battling obviously for yeah. those relegation places but I think overall UCD deserve to stay up and I think they will Shane 
so the race uh, for Europe continues as well as uh, the race to avoid the drop continues uh, also Dundalk and Pats who will I suppose overall you know N- nail your colours to the mask Dundalk here. Dundalk are going to get it simple yeah. as well the, 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 tonight especially is a big one because I know there's two games left for both teams but I just think Dundalk's home form will get them over the line they've been absolutely fantastic at home and they're playing at home tonight to a Bohemian side who are very much in obviously Declan Devine is only after taking over whereas Pats have a tough tie away to Sligo Rovers tonight I think Pats might beat Sligo Rovers tonight but I just think Dundalk's home form will get them over the line and, and keep that two point cushion chain going into next week and I do think Dundalk will get that final European place Final game of uh, this evening, uh, Shelburne's last game in Tulka Park uh, for this season. Shells without a league win since July 22nd. How big of a concern is that ahead of the cup final? Um, I don't think it's a massive concern, Shane, okay. because the cup is going to come down to, we saw them obviously against Waterford in the semi-final, it's going to come down to on the day yeah. and if they've been competitive in the games with Derry this season so far they know obviously they drew with them last week up in the Brandywell as well so they know that they can cause Derry problems so I don't think that'll be a concern for Damien I think basically since they've since they've got to maybe the latter stages of the cup the semi-final now that they're in the final all eyes have probably gone away from the league a little bit once they knew they were safe and turned their attentions to the cup so that wouldn't worry him I don't think it wouldn't worry me either going into it I think it'll be all on the day when it comes to the final Good, I like that answer. <laughs> you please me. Uh, as uh, we mentioned there, Dundalk, Bowes, Shells, Drahada, Sligo, Pats, all 7.45, kickoffs, Finn Harps, UCD up in Bally Buffets at 8pm and Shamrock Rovers take on Derry uh, live on RT television on Sunday. Shamrock Rovers, of course, will be presented with the League of Ireland Premier Division trophy for a third consecutive year. Alan Colley, thank you very much. Have a great bank holiday we- weekend. I'm Thanks sure you. we'll be uh, chatting plenty in uh, the weeks to come uh, and in the lead up to that cup final. I think it's only 16 days away now, but sure. Who, who's counting? Who's counting? Jane Mangan's up next with horse racing. RTE 2FM Game on. Racing. Now, it is time to chat horse racing with Jane Mangan. Jane, how are you? I'm very well and ready to rock for this weekend. Good, good. Well, let's start in Weatherby. 25 to 4. The Charlie Hall chase goes to post. It's a great two, but features the likes of Brave Man's Game and Ahoy Senior. Two horses to uh, really get excited about. Yeah, proper novices from last year. Grade 1 winning hurdlers. Ahoy Senor and Brave Man's Game met in a novice chase at Aintree last April. And Ahoy Senor absolutely pulverised Brave Man's Game, who has subsequently since had his wind operated on over the summer break. Not unusual for Paul Nichols' horse. And Paul has given this guy an entry for the Grade 1 JN Wine at Down Royal the uh, end of this month, which is a, a very significant vote of confidence but Ahoy Senor is a very good horse if he's jumping which has let him down in the past stands up he'll be very hard to beat for Lucinda Russell throw in Win My Wings who won the Scottish National El Dorado Allen is a useful horse as well there might only be seven going to post for the Charlie Hall chase but it's a very solid renewal Okay, a little bit earlier on that day uh, at at 3pm we have the Grade 2 hurdle. A small field, but one, I suppose, is it fair to say that we will see Sporting John come out on top of? Yeah, it's a, he, he's a much better chaser, I think, Sporting John, for J.P. McManus and Philip Hobbs. He's a Grade 1 winning novice chaser. He's not the fastest in the world, but he's won a Grade 1 in the past, so he obviously has a bit of class. I think Dan Skelton's Proshmina has a serious chance. He'll probably be... Uh, maybe strip a little bit fitter. You throw in the mayor's hurdle winner in the Gefastable for Paul Weber and three under through five for the McNeil family. And you have a very good renewal of that race. There might only be six runners, but they're all quite classy. The mayor's hurdle is intriguing to me. Yes, five runners, so it'll be very tactical. But you have last year's winner, Molly Ollie's Wishes, in there for the Skelton's. 
she beat Marie's Rock and Zambella in this race last year and I think the best horse she probably has to beat this time around is Martello Sky so this isn't as strong a renewal and probably one of the most intriguing races in the UK tomorrow is the first race at Ascot four runners it's a novice handicap chase but that name Goshen we all know he's got this big ability we've all been on his side when that thing went wrong in the trying hurdle but Goshen has been wayward in the past he's been a bit of a self-sabotager but this is his first start in public over fences for the Moore family and they're saying he's schooling very well at home but Goshen could decide to do anything tomorrow and I'll be watching Okay, well, you'll also be in uh, Galway watching on on Sunday because domestic action back here in Ireland, I suppose, the the pick of the bunch is both in Wexford and Galway that will capture people's uh, attention. What should we be uh, keeping an eye on specifically? Yeah, so the the rain is forecast, so if anybody uh, is sat at home by the fire, they can throw on on the television and watch me get absolutely soaked uh, (laughs) from Valley Brit. I'm looking forward to the beginner's chase. You've got the devil's coachman in there from Noel Mead. He was a classy herder, as was Churchstone Warrior and Sam's profile. They're all going over fences. I think devil's coachman might be too classy there. You've got a very good uh, handicap chase there with real steel for Eric McNamara. Previously with Willie Mullins and, and Paul Nichols, he's interesting in there against Fassier Delarge. Snugs for Benny, who won the Blazers at Galway. Loves Galway Plate and the Galway Plate as well. He's in there for Shane Broderick and uh, Theatre World for Rasso Sullivan. There's a novice hurdle there, Jack in the box. It doesn't look like the strongest novice hurdle, the, two, uh, the five to three on Sunday. You've got only six runners, and I think maybe Jack in the box might have too many guns for Davy Russell and Gordon Elliott. But I hear Emmett, or Emmett Mullins saying that it is possible that we might see Noble Yates at Wexford on Bank Holiday Monday. So if anybody is down the East Coast and wants some entertainment, you could see an entry national winner in action at Wexford. What better way to be spending a bank holiday Monday? So lots to look forward to this weekend. Listen, while I have you, Jane, just looking ahead a bit further, I know it's not until early next week in the early hours of the morning, but one of the most notable races of the year, the Melbourne Cup. No Irish runners this year, of course, but what should we be uh, looking out for? You could be looking out for something from the UK. Now, it's hard to believe. It's disappointing, number one, that we don't have an Irish contender. It's hard to believe that the UK trainers have only won the Melbourne Cup once ever it was cross counter for Charlie Appleby that's the only single winner coming from the UK so Doville legend for James Ferguson is top of the market headed uh, second with uh, Simon and Ed, Ed Chris horse and second with without a fight they're the top two in the market Doville legend of obvious preference for me given his strong form with um, winning the great Voltager at York but Hu Yamal has had a European campaign now in the care of Gay Waterhouse Gold Trip is in there as well and we've got a, a, a formerly Irish-trained horse in Camara, previously trained here by Ger Lyons, now making its stable debut for Ben Hayes. I think that horse will have a good chance, but it's hard to ignore the lack of British winners in the race, but they might just double their tally at 4am on Tuesday morning at Flemington. OK, great stuff. Jane Mangan, thank you. As always, have a great weekend and hopefully the weather isn't too bad down in uh, Ballybrit on Sunday. Shine, that is all we have time for. Ruby Walsh will be joining me on Monday, so we'll be reviewing everything that Jane has previewed there and we'll be diving deep into the Melbourne Cup. Brian Moss was a broadcast coordinator. Ronan Lauder was a producer. I've been Shane Dawson. From all of the Game On team, have a great weekend. Uh, the official chat show is up next afternoon, so stay tuned here to 2FM. But for now, it is. Bye-bye. Live across the nation and on the RTE radio player. This is RTE 2FM. It's seven o'clock. I'm Janet.